welcome to episode 318 of Live Happy Now. Today's technology-driven world allows us to connect with others and stay informed like never before. But it's no secret that living in the information age is also keeping us distracted and drained. I'm your host, Paula Phelps, and today I'm talking with Dr. Charles Chafin, a researcher, educator, and author of NUM, How the Information Age Dulls Our Senses and How We Can Get Them Back. Charles' research looks at the attention economy and how we're affected by everything from social media and cable news to dating apps and pornography. This week, he's here to talk about what all these distractions are doing to our mental health and how we can better manage our attention in such a noisy world. Charles, welcome to Live Happy Now. Well, thanks for having me. You have written such a fascinating book, and it's on the information age and everything that it's doing to us. And to start things off, I want to know what made you decide to dig into this topic, because it's a huge topic. Yeah, you know, my, my research was attention. So my attention is kind of the how our attentional resources are allocated throughout our days is always kind of the underlying element of kind of how I think and how I work. And, you know, where this really spawned was actually relative to compassion. I started thinking about sensationalism in the news. I started thinking about how social media is constantly bombarding us with the suffering of others. And so where this started was, you know, we're watching these, you know, horrible things that seem to happen all the time and the 15 minutes of fame that each of them have. And I started wondering about, well, how does it affect our own compassion when it comes to the people around us? You know, if I'm watching the news or if I'm reading on social media of all these terrible things that happen, and then suddenly I have somebody that's actually in my life that has something terrible happen to them, where is this resource of compassion? Is it all dried up because I'm watching it on TV? So that's how it started. And then, you know, getting into all the elements of technology and platforms that are so desperately trying to steal and hold our attention. And what are the implications of that? And I, I tried to do this book a little differently than perhaps some of my colleagues and peers in that I really wanted to do a 360 degree view of everything from social media to cable news to dating sites and porn and, and everything else and really dive into how it affects our lives, as you said, and how to manage it. And there is so much out there. There's so much to manage, and it is overwhelming. And from the moment I started reading the book, it resonated with me because, well, one, you did your research very thoroughly, but it just kind of reminds you how much we're inundated with every day, every moment of the day, seemingly. So where does someone start to kind of dig through all that? It is immense. And what I tried to do is really throughout the book, offer the reader the opportunity to reflect upon their own relationship with technology and information and really start with, is this working for me? You know, is, is the two, three, four hours a day that an individual is spending on social media, on their smartphones, and in some cases, you know, planted in front of cable news, is that working? And, and I, I didn't want to be judgmental. You know, I didn't want to say, well, you shouldn't be doing this and you shouldn't be doing that. And, you know, you should go on these, you know, dopamine fasts that some people write about where you just eliminate all that. That's not reasonable. What I wanted to do and what I hope I did in the book is for individuals to say, 
you know, this is either meeting my goals for relationships, for productivity, for life experiences, or it's not. And where I think we are as a society is technology in the cases of what we're talking about here and what I talk about in NUM is no longer a tool to get us to authenticity and productivity and deeper relationships. It's actually become a destination that we're not using as a tool. We're actually planted in these things because of how they're going after our attention. And that comes at an enormous, enormous cost to both our professional as well as our personal lives. Now, what is it doing to us mentally to be rushing through this day with constant distractions from emails and all the other ways that technology interrupts our lives? And then in addition to that, we are then going and, and interrupting our lives intentionally by hitting Instagram and TikTok and all our social media channels. What does that do to our brains? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's, there's some research that suggests that if you're fully engaged on something and you're really concentrating on writing or you're really concentrating and listening to someone or something and you're interrupted, it could be upwards of 20 minutes for you to get back to that level of focus where you were before you were interrupted. Think about, you know, two or three interruptions a day that that really adds up, right? And so what it does to our brains is that we basically have, have this element of dopamine that we're, you know, it's like that searching, that pleasure neurotransmitter. And when we find these quick, easy routes to get some element of pleasure, it kind of rewires our brain, if you will. And so we become more accustomed to it. And now it becomes a way of life for us as how we work and, and how we engage others. And the best way to address that is to, first of all, certainly be goal-oriented. Goal you know, what are the things that we want to experience? What are the things we want to get accomplished? And then create an environment to be able to do it. So maybe it's for somebody who's constantly distracted and has real challenges. Maybe it's saying, okay, I'm going to spend 15 minutes uninterrupted without my smartphone, without Outlook push notifications for email and whatnot and focus on this. And then after 15 minutes, pick up the smartphone or at dinner with your spouse or partner, pick it up after that time, but really have short bursts and really reconfigure your environment so that you can really focus on what you believe is most important. And it's becoming more difficult for many of us to focus on what is important. I will confess I even noticed that as I was reading your book, and I thought, well, this is ironic because I'm reading, but then I can hear my Slack going off and it's like, should I check that? Should I check that? And it was such a great example of, you know, here I am, I'm, I'm trying to read about how to get rid of distractions and how it's affecting me and my phone and my, my laptop are both pinging through Slack. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's why I wrote shorter chapters. You know, it's easier to write a, a long book. I want short chapters to address the pushes that pulls on our attention, right? I can't write about attention and then have, you know, 50 page chapters, right? <laughs> you know, it, and it's one of the big components of the book, what you're referencing here. And that is, you know, I don't spend the book bashing Instagram and Facebook and cable news and all these other platforms. But what I want people to remember is that the goals that they have are different than our goals, right? So the objectives of these apps are to lure us in and keep our attention. You know, our objectives may be attention panhandling because we want to post things, or they might be that we want to get a dopamine hit from 
breaking news or information or whatever it might be. So they're different. So if we can look at these devices, if we can look at this technology and the information that goes along with it with a more critical eye, that can help us, right? Maybe it isn't always breaking news. Maybe we don't have to say, oh my gosh, I have to stay tuned because they just asked whether the you know the world is going to end after this commercial break. You say, well, you know, the job is to keep you on and you know to deliver basically as many others, particularly in Silicon Valley, have written about, their role is to deliver us as the product to advertisers. So if we can look at it with a more critical eye and say, in that Venn diagram, our goals and the goals of the platform, there is a crossover. So there is usefulness there, but they're surely not completely aligned. And even when we know that, it becomes difficult to put the phone down and walk away from it. So what is happening to us there? Because there's times I know my time will be much better spent if I'm doing something around my house or or whatever. But instead, I like pick up my phone, like, let's see what Facebook did today. And it's like, I know, I know that's not the best use of my time. Still doing it. Yeah. You know, one chapter I devote is a habit of distraction. That's mm-hmm. what we have. We have a habit of distraction. And there's a lot of reasons for that, you know. One is, you know, we'll do it because we, you know, we go on to one of the apps because we're avoiding something that we don't want to do that might be difficult. You know, we're writing a report and it's becoming challenging. We'll say, oh, you know, I'm going to go to something with less friction. And the least amount of friction is, you know, going to the app and whatnot, right? Or, you know, loneliness is a big piece of this, right? It's a huge piece of it. And one of the big challenges, particularly as we're talking about social media and so wanting that that dopamine hit or wanting that attention that maybe we're not feeling like we're getting in our lives that that we go on to one of the social media apps and post or engage on some level, even when we know, as you said, even when we know that it's a distraction, it's not working towards our goals. And, And in some cases, I think a lot of people don't necessarily have identified, you know, what is it that they want their attention to be doing for them? Right. And I think we all fall into that loop, you know, that it's not so much just identifying your allocating your time is just not enough. You know, to say I'm going to spend two hours on something and have my phone there, you know, and I'm constantly picking it up, that's not enough. Where we are now in this attention economy, where devices and platforms are pushing and pulling our attention, it is now about the allocation of our attention. And two hours towards a report or whatever is not enough. Now it's about 20 minutes of attention. If I can spend 20 minutes, a fully devoted time, uninterrupted, no devices, no push notifications, I'm going to be better off than otherwise. So it's really about managing, taking back our attention when there's so many things that are specifically designed to steal it. And if we're not actively managing it, and we're just kind of going back to the default where we're in line and we're just going to, you know, go on to Facebook or, or Twitter or whatnot, those things are going to get us in that loop and and they're going to take it. So it's, it's an active versus passive element in many regards. And it's not easy because as you talk about in having this lifestyle of distraction, really, I see this a lot, say at the grocery store or any kind of store, When people are standing in line, they no longer look around. They pick up their phone and it's like, this is three minutes in line, you know, and they cannot take that three minutes without some sort of technological interaction. 
And it's concerning in the fact that you do wonder what it's doing to us for the long run. Like, what is this doing long term for the way that our brains work? Absolutely. And even in the, in the interpersonal side, we have a loneliness epidemic. We have mm-hmm. folks that are just really isolated. And that goes before COVID. You know, post-COVID here, we've got a whole new ballgame that we're going to have to be addressing and seeing some of the psychological impacts that, that have come from the pandemic. But let's just take loneliness for an example, taking the neurological side out of this. You know, you have people sitting in a waiting room, in line at a grocery store, or at a gate at an airport. And so many people are lonely. And you know, lacking authentic interaction. And we're not even talking about romantic interaction. We're just talking about, you know, friendship or sharing commonalities or whatnot, or hearing other perspectives, which gets into the tribalism elements that are part of the book. Sitting next to people, feeling isolated, and yet we're buried on our phone. Mm-hmm. Looking for authenticity. And it's one of the therapists that I interviewed for the book gave a great analogy, I think, is that that element is like salt water. We're thirsty for that engagement, and we keep drinking the salt water that is social media, thinking it's going to quench our thirst, devoting more attention, devoting more time to it, and it just snowballs because now we're not dedicating time to nurturing those authentic relationships. We're allocating our time towards social media at that cost, and it just gets worse. So I think there's both neurological pieces to it, but I also think there's interpersonal elements, and all of these things... In an attention economy, it's expensive. You know, our attention is incredibly valuable and it's a fixed element. We only have so much of it. And so if folks can realize that if I'm dedicating my attention to my partner at dinner, that's an allocation of a valuable resource that only you have and is the gateway to our consciousness. It's the gateway to everything we experience, everything we see, everything we smell, all of those different things. And if we can treat that just like we treat our money, or maybe even a little better than we treat our spending, we're going to be better off because we can be constantly asking ourselves, is this dedication of our attention working with our goals, making us happier, or is it not? That's a big shift to make though. You know, that's talk about swimming upstream because Everyone else is kind of, gosh, we got to get online. We got to make sure that we're getting our selfies out there and making sure that we're on the latest apps. You know, I got so many invitations to Clubhouse and I'm like, I'm not, no, not doing it. (laughs) You know, I do not need one more thing to take me away from real life. And how do you even start making that commitment to your own attention and start turning that ship around? It's so complicated. It is such a complicated issue. And all the things in this book, you know, the elements of confirmation bias and tribalism and dating apps and and elements of attention here in these apps are complicated matters. However, I think at the most basic level, it goes back to what I mentioned earlier. And that is, is this working for me or is it not? And that is the million dollar question. Is this allocation of my time and attention on Instagram and posting pictures of myself and whatnot to get those likes. Is that really making my life better? Yeah, it's great to get that dopamine hit that somebody makes a comment about 
my appearance or I'm, you know, selling a certain curated life on Facebook where it seems like I'm only going on vacations. Is that really making my life better? Am I more productive because of it? And if we can start there and if if folks want to step aside and say, yes, it's making my life better, then good for them. That's perfectly fine. And I'm happy for them. But for a lot of people, it's that realization that it's not right. And there's lots of data out there that looks at, you know, everything like body mass index and loneliness when it comes to time allocated on social media and whatnot that suggested it's not working for them. But I think we have to start there. And then once we start there, the realization that we do have the power to control where our time and attention are allocated based upon whatever our goals are, then we've got the opportunity to do things. And as I talk about in the book to make that change, it's it's then about shorter periods, right? Let's not do a three-hour period where we're not going to have any access to technology. Let's start with shorter periods and let's evaluate it. And let's see, are we more productive? Are we more engaged with the people closest to us and whatnot? But the first step is realization and the second to me is control. That's terrific because another thing that plays into it, and you talk about this in the book, is FOMO. And as we start opening back up, I really see a lot of that kicking in. What does it do to us to be in that state of FOMO? And then how does it change the way we start interacting with technology and with others? Yeah, you know, it's just a really good research that's going to come out of the quarantines on FOMO, right? Because you know, if someone's posting that they're traveling around the world during the quarantine, you know, you would look at that with a very critical eye saying, you know, I don't know that that's happening. So FOMO levels were likely less, right, during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the people that were single that probably wish that they weren't, and there are people that were, weren't were single that wish that they were during quarantine <laughs> and all those different things, right? But especially as time went on. But, you know, there was certainly an interesting period when it comes to FOMO. But taking a step back from that, looking at it more long-term or looking, looking at it more generally, you know, if I'm sitting at home on a Friday night and I'm very happy with my cookies and cream haagen ice cream, right? I'm just in my happy zone here. And maybe I'm with somebody close to me or maybe I'm not. And I'm perfectly content for whatever reason. It's been a rough week. The weather's terrible, whatever. And then I go on to Facebook or Instagram and I see, you know, I see a connection there who, you know, it looks like a beer commercial. Everybody looks great and they're toasting, right? You know, nobody seems to have any health issues from drinking all that beer. And and then you start to say, well, wait a minute. What am I doing here with this cookies and cream, right? I Suddenly you go from happy and content to not, you know, it's like the opposite of choice architecture, you know, choice architecture, you try to limit choices, right? To make reasonable ones. What we have on social media is it actually questions our past choices. You know, especially if we're, you know, if we're friends with people on Facebook that we don't even know, right? You know, and we see their curated profiles, lots of filters, you know, the 300th selfie is the one that they posted that doesn't (laughs) even look like them, right? And they're always posting about vacations, you know, we start to say, well, wait a minute, I don't have that life and I want it. When in reality, that person 
you know, it's all curated, right? We don't know them and, and what they're posting is maybe at best based on a true story. So we actually feel like we're missing out on something that doesn't even exist, right? Mm-hmm. And we start to question those past choices. And so ways to address that, you know, in research, they talk about Dunbar's number, right? Which is basically you know, our capacity to, to have relationships, meaningful engagement with other people. And that number is like 150, so if we have 800 Facebook friends, this is when we run into these types of problems. But if we're using it for a smaller number of people, you know, maybe we're away from our families geographically and we want to stay connected on the day-to-day things or, you know, post stories about things and whatnot, that's healthy. You know, the, the research right. suggests that that strengthens relationships. It's when we start inviting these other people into our social media and whatnot that we start feel like we're, we're missing out on something greater. And in a lot of cases, that something greater may or may not even be true. Yeah, I think it's so important for people to realize that And we know it on some level that what we see is the representation of their best life. It's kind of like the worst poker situation you could have in the (laughs) sense that you know, or most people anyway, know that what they're posting is curated. You know, they're spending all this time getting the right video or photo. Yet at the same time, they don't think about it in terms of what other people are curating, right? So it's kind of like, you know, you're bluffing at the poker table, but you don't think anyone else is, which is you know completely ridiculous. You know, everyone is, at least on some level, some people more than others. And as folks are younger, they tend to mislead or they tend to spend more time on their, you know, Instagram with the right picture. Or in some cases, they pick experiences you know, they treat their lives as, as your friend is, or as a person you know does, as content providers. Well, I'm not going to go on that experience during my vacation because I'm not going to get a lot of likes. When it's something that they really wanted to do, but it's not going to get that dopamine hit of likes and comments, right? And whatnot. So it can be incredibly destructive if we want to look at our lives as a content creator, as opposed to actually living our lives. And that has become a big choice that a lot of people have to deal with because some of us unconsciously have become content creators. You know, it's like we do want to show our our best life and put it up there. And what are some ways that we can kind of start stepping away from that? I spoke to a lot of therapists about this point and it, it really does. There are a lot of issues associated with it that people have to disentangle in their own lives. But I think the starting point goes back to what I mentioned earlier, and that's ROI. You know, what's your return on this investment? What it actually has that done for you? You know, scrolling back and looking at posts that you produced as a content provider, you know, two or three years ago and got all these likes, did that really, you know, outside of the dopamine hit that you got for that, what exactly did that do? And, you know, let's untangle that a little further. You know, what did you miss out on because of the time you spent there? Hmm. That's a great question to start asking. Right. And, you know, for some people, if they say it was worth the attention, worth the time, then good for them. That's great. But asking the question is, I think, critical. And I think a lot of people, a lot of people would say, you know what? It wasn't worth it. And as you probably saw, you know, at the end of the book, I asked that question, you know, at the end of our lives, Asking yourself, was all this time, the three, the four, the five hours a day on these platforms, was it worth it? And if the answer is yes, then good for you. There's no judgment here. But 
asking that question, I'm not sure people will say it was worth it. That's a great point. And if you can look at it through that lens, it will really change the choices that you're making on a daily basis. Charles, this is wonderful. I really appreciate you coming on and talking about this. There's so many points we didn't even get to because you've done an excellent job of covering so many topics in this. So I really hope that that our listeners will pick this up and explore NUM. We're going to tell them on the website how they can get a copy of it. And I look forward to seeing uh, how this can help our society change the way it thinks. I really appreciate that. It's an important piece for all of us. We're all wrestling with it. And I hope that this helps folks in some way, shape, or form. That was Dr. Charles Chafin, author of Numb, How the Information Age Dulls Our Senses and How We Can Get Them Back. If you'd like to learn more about Charles, listen to his podcast, or find out how to get his new book, just visit us at livehappynow.com and follow the link. That is all we have time for today. We'll meet you back here again next week for an all-new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one.